From Colorado State University, UDU 275, this is Schooling in the United States. Today, we go back in time into our schooling experience as we talk about issues within our current American schooling system and ways we can foster change. I'm your host, Kevin Payne, currently majoring in history with a social studies concentration. I'm joined today with other members of my EDU 275 class. Darlene, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, um, I'm Darlene. I am majoring in ethnic studies with a um, social studies concentration. Um, and I guess just my why on like being an educator is being able to provide that space for um, students like myself who identify as like first gen, minority, low income can like see themselves in me and like then believe in themselves too be greater than what maybe some other educators are expecting of them. Um, I'm Lauren, I'm majoring in HDFS with a concentration in early childhood professions. Um, I hope to become an elementary teacher um, just because I know how much my teachers impacted me th at that age and I think that's such an important age for education. So I hope to be that for future generations. And I am Cade, I am a education major with a concentration in social studies and I think the reason why I wanted to be a teacher is because I necessarily was not the greatest student in middle school high school but I had that one teacher that just kind of showed me the ropes and helped me out and I definitely uh, was very inspired and wanted to to help do that to other students that are you know struggling and whatnot so that's kind of my main goal. Well thank you welcome. Alrighty let's uh, let's just get started. So if we look back in time through the American education system, I think it's safe to say that it's uh, far from perfect. Would, yeah. would you all agree yeah. with yes, that? Yes, most definitely. <laughs> Alrighty. So specifically, when we go back in time, especially during like chapter two of the Springer text, we learned about the deculturalization of Native Americans. And you know, some of the ways that that played out is that you know, children were separated from their families. They were put into these boarding schools. They were told they had to dress a specific way, they had to speak a, a specific way, they weren't able to speak their native languages, and they were basically, you know, brainwashed and separated and prevented from actually identifying with their, their actual culture. I think a quote that came out of that, kill the Indian, save the man. I think that's, you know, definitely a dark time in our, in our history, in our um, schooling system's history. But I guess let me ask you this question. This deculturalization of children, of students, is this something that we're still currently facing in our current education system? Yeah, I wanted to talk about misrepresentation in curriculum, specifically Native Americans, just because we opened up with that. I remember learning, and I think we all have talked about it before, that we got a very brief description of Native American history. We learned about the Trail of Tears, and that's about it. Native American Wars, maybe, the Indian Wars. Um, but it, it was just a paragraph in a textbook. Even even the wars were, like, Americanized, too. Yeah. Like, since it wasn't really from the frame of, like, a Native American you perspective. Know, yeah. It was all from, like... American. Oh! Yeah. Uh, we have to do this because of X, yeah, Y, Z. Yeah, you know, and so you don't really get that frame or perspective of where right. they're coming from, so... Yeah, so... Native American students do not see representation in curriculum, and it goes past just history. Literature is written from old white men's perspective. We read, you know, Shakespeare, Kill a Mockingbird, just very not diverse readings. 
like throughout our entire K through 12 years. And I think with the boarding schools, like Kevin mentioned, we didn't learn about this until we got into this class. Like I never even knew that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I never knew that that was, I, I just never knew that it existed. I, I so I really knew the severity of the issue too. Mm-hmm. It was right. like how they would, like Kevin said, that quote is just crazy to me, you know, kill yeah. the enemy and save the man. But uh, like the cutting of the hair, they couldn't sing their songs, mm-hmm. just, you know what I mean? Like, they would get in trouble for singing their songs, like, in the dorms or whatever. But I think that was something that I took away from it. It was just like, wow, we're really actually completely stripping down of, like, people, you know? Yeah, and I think for me, too, because I, I, like, knew a little bit about them, and I learned a little bit more last semester when I took Native American cultural expressions. Mm-hmm. But I didn't understand, like, how long it lasted. Yeah. Like, it, what, what it, like, the last one closed in, like, what, 70-something? Yeah. So yeah. like and yeah, like, like a so lot of the yeah. buildings are like still standing. Yeah. Some of them in California being like university places now and like it's just so crazy to think that like I feel like as like like my majority culture, um, I feel like they're always like trying to downplay like the severity of things that happen. So like they try to downplay slavery and the civil rights movement and like all this and that and I, I think that the boarding schools especially like like, it's something that has been, like, so pushed away that we yeah. believe it to be so long ago, when in reality, like, it's yeah, not that long ago. Really my brother was, my brothers were born in, like, the 80s, so, like, mm-hmm. to think that, like, my brothers, like, potentially could have been in those schools, like, had right. they been open for a little bit more years, and, like, had they, mm-hmm. like... That, yeah, another thing, too, is, like, the healing process, like, that they're going through, and, like, it, they even kind of brought it up in um, Dakota 38. Mm-hmm. It was, like, that was... A long time ago and they're still healing from it and like doing practices to forgive you know and I just think that's you know it's terrible you know that yeah. we, you know I agree and it's just so overshadowed too which is gross but yeah, yeah. And I think I think especially too like Lauren I think you brought up a really good point like the lack of curriculum but then also too like the lack of just Native American students within our schooling system because we do mm-hmm. push Native yeah. American communities into their reservations right. And so, like, I remember we talked about it in my high school when my, um, one of my teachers was like, y'all think that this problem is over? And we were like, yeah. And they were like, how many, like, of your peers do you know identify as Native American? And we were like, what? And, like, we went to a pretty diverse high school. So, like, to imagine thinking of that and, like, like how far removed they are and then still not getting their proper curriculum, right. like, in places that are, like, supposed to be designed for them. You know, it's just crazy to think about. Right. Yeah, I'm actually looking at a statistic right now where – there's actually only four states that include content about Indian boarding schools, um, Arizona, Washington, Oklahoma, and Kansas. Um, I mean, Colorado has so many Native American tribes. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy to me that we don't talk about it enough or at all. <laughs> so, I really enjoyed your quote about how, you know, within curriculum, we learn about um, old you know, white guys. Yeah. All dead white guys yeah. is probably right. more, more accurate. <laughs> like English yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I and mean, actually, I was able to look back. So the the person who actually, the, the, the quote originates from the Kill the Indian, Save the Man, came from Henry Pratt, which was the founder and longtime superintendent of the Carl Isle Indian um, oh, yeah. School. So mm-hmm. that's, that's where the quote comes from. That was the first boarding school opened, mm-hmm. I believe. Carlisle Indian School, yeah. So, you know, we, we talked about how, you know, Native Americans have been uh, not equally represented within school and curriculum. 
And so with that being said, it's like how do you how do you change a, a teacher's mind like during like Columbus Day for instance you know you you want to accurately represent um, history from mm-hmm. different perspectives not just mm-hmm. the quote dead old you know white men mm-hmm. yeah um, and so how do you how do you get like other educators to sort of talk about the discussion because you know you you will hear other you know many arguments like we don't have any students that represent as mm-hmm. you know so we don't native need to american yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so we don't need to yeah. teach about it so how do we how do we change that that sort of stigma mm-hmm. in the schooling experience i think people just can't get really stuck in their own ways and like i mean i don't want to like point out like any teachers but like i feel like the older generation of teachers that have been there done that they just kind of will sometimes maybe just float through the motions a little bit just teach the same thing mm-hmm. Yeah, they have um, their routines. That are exactly. Yeah. That's they, kind of like what Danny said today in class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they know what works, yeah. so to speak, you know, quotations. But, you know, I think just kind of getting them to maybe open up, reopen their brains and be open to new things, be open to change, because school is always going to be evolving, you know, I think. Mm-hmm. You can't just be stagnant, so. I think also, too, sorry, Lauren. No, you're um, <laughs> I think also, too, like, being able to, like, disprove some of the things that they already believe, right? Oh, yeah. So, like, the reason that people, like, not everyone, but that, like, some people who, like, still acknowledge Columbus Day are, like, so adamant about it. Where they're like, he found it. I'm like, he didn't find anything. Yeah. You know, like, being able, like, he never landed in the United States, like, what we know it to be. And so I think just being able to, like, first disprove that. And then mm-hmm. also, too, I think a, a really big thing that, like, we talk about um, within um, the, like, like, Multicultural Greek Council that I'm a part of is we always talk about, like, you can't tell someone that you didn't hurt them. You know, like, so, like, trying to frame it in that sense, it's, like, you can't tell a student that, like, by celebrating Columbus Day, you're further oppressing them. You can't, you don't have that right, especially as someone, like, who doesn't identify as, like, that member group. And even within that member group, like, I know that specifically, like, being Latinx, like, some people don't enjoy using the the term Latinx, and I'm not going to tell anyone how to identify. That's just a term I'm comfortable with. And so that's what I choose to use. But, like, you can't, it's a lot of, like, being able to, I guess, comprehend to not invalidate others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think another really important thing is educating yourself as Mm -hmm. an educator. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I know for me at least, I probably wouldn't have heard about a lot of the things we've heard about, like boarding schools, if I didn't take this course. Mm -hmm. And that's really sad. And I mean, I think it's really important for educators to be educated. I know that sounds silly, but I mean, I don't know. I don't think we get enough knowledge about other cultures so yeah i agree i think it's very important that we acknowledge the fact that it's not just native americans that have been you know disadvantaged in our schooling experience other minority groups have also you know been affected we can look at you know african americans asian americans hispanic latinx descent and so you know We'll go ahead and dive into, you know, more examples of how minority students are currently disadvantaged in our school experience and, you know, the type of barriers that they have to overcome to achieve this. We'll be back right after this break. All right, y'all. So um, I want to get into kind of like a little bit of like the code switching and like the actual culture shipping that like I think a lot of um minority groups have experienced I think that we brought up 
Lauren, you brought up a really good point of like the different curriculums and not being able to see yourself in them and like just things that a lot of us don't even know until we come to college, right? Like I always like a really big thing we like to say in ethnic studies is like privilege is and power is like your history being curriculum and my history being elective, you know, and things of that mm-hmm. sort. And so but I think it's just as Kevin had mentioned, like in ways that it still continues today, I think one of the biggest pieces that we see that in is um, the Miles Morales piece we watched in class where he's like code switching like to everyone that he's talking to. Right. So like he's speaking Spanish with his mom, the way that he talks to his um, white peer on the sidewalk is not the same that he talks to um, like his Latinx and black peers on the sidewalk. And I think that well, me personally speaking as like a Latinx student, like in different spaces, I do tend to take up room in different ways. Like, it's not always the same way, but, like, how do y'all see that um, going about or, like, how different cultures have been stripped due to that? Yeah, um, I know from personal experience, actually, um, I did, I had the uh, Asian-American friend growing up, and his parents, his mom and dad were from China, and you could tell when you went to his house, like, it was proper, everything was done to how his parents wanted it to be done and when you got him because he played hockey too and like so when he'd be at the rink or like you know just kind of with his buddies it was like just like anybody else would yeah you know 10 or 13 years old however we were but it was just crazy to see how the way he would talk was significantly different with his parents than it was with us like being Mm -hmm. his friends you know so that's kind of when i had a clue that something was definitely a little different there but yeah, I would, sh- I would say for sure, like, I definitely had the same experience growing up where, like, I would, like, go home and, or, like, I would go to my friend's home and, like, that's very, like, traditional ways in terms of culture, and then inside of our schools, like, we never see that, you know, like, I don't see my friends, like, actively, like, maybe practicing their religion, like, every day yeah. in school, like, they would every day at home, and things of that sort, and I think it's a lot of, like, are we creating that opportunity to, like, do that? I know that specifically, I had a friend who, um, her family is Muslim, and her mom wears a hijab and like i think her younger sisters do as well and like she doesn't because she didn't want to get made fun of oh yeah mm-hmm. my best friend in high school um practicing muslim she didn't wear a hijab because she said she didn't feel comfortable enough to wear it at school mm-hmm. but she would um take time to pray during school but she said she just didn't feel comfortable enough so yeah, yeah. i definitely understand that i think that's one of the big thing now is like just make no matter where you come from, I think the school should be, like, a home away from home, in a sense, mm-hmm. where... Safe place. Yeah, it should great. be, like, that haven where, like, you, you know, you, you have your friends, you have, you know what to do, and, like, you just feel comfortable and not think of it as, oh, I have to go to school. You know, it should be like, oh... I get to go to school. You know, I get to go to school, <laughs> I get to see friends, I get to be comfortable with what I'm doing and learning, and, you know, I don't think we do a very good job at that in the modern day world you know so yeah yeah I agree especially because like if you think about it like there are kids who like are experiencing real life trauma like every day right. when they go home like their school should be that one safe place yeah. and like not being able to feel safe like to practice religion or to like embrace your culture or speak in your native language like that I feel like can just be so draining on top of already like having to go home yeah. and like experience that right. like a different trauma you know, being a minority myself, I do find myself um, code switching quite a bit. I, I actually never knew that there was an actual term for it before mm-hmm. this class. But yeah, no, having to, you know, speak a particular way when addressing like other 
Hispanic, Latinx, you know, individuals. You know, we usually have like this joke that whenever people speak on their phone, they always speak in their their Harvard voice. You know, it's very professional. Oh, I, yeah, I say that too. Wide, you know, it's like um, my customer service voice. It went to Harvard. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, and as we look back to, to week seven of this class um, with the Springer chapter three text, I want to read a very uh, quick passage. It was immediately apparent that most Anglo-Americans were not going to accept integrated educational institutions. Racially segregated schools were widely established from the late 19th century until the U.S. Supreme Court ruled them unconstitutional in 1954. And so this idea of separate but equal, it definitely provided differences in you know, funding, educational opportunities, mm-hmm. and it's still a divide that we still see to this day. I remember what I was going to say. I think a lot of it, too, when you think about like the different <coughs> like racialization and how I wanted to tie it into like class, um, which is like what my piece is about, is that you have to think about it too. Like after schools were quote unquote integrated, our our speaker that came actually talked a little about it. When we when schools became integrated, white schools actually they in order to not integrate became private schools, so that that way only students who had the money, who had the correct qualifications, were able to go that to that school. It created such an issue because only public schools were the ones who were forced to integrate with immediate action. We also, we also know that like the immediate action didn't really happen like people didn't want to integrate and so I think apart like when you think about that too and then all of the redlining that happens and still happens honestly even if it's still not like super apparent like it was back then and how it just kind of like really put communities behind you know like people regardless of whether they were high income and were probably able to afford living in those middle class neighborhoods were denied because they racially were a minority and like when I look up, when I look at it now so I have a statistic where this is like percentage below the poverty line based on like race and ethnicity for white people 9.4 percent of the population is below the poverty line for Asian Americans it's 10.2 we see a really huge jump when we then talk about our black and Hispanic populations um, at 23.7 percent and 22.3 percent so first um, for some double nearly triple of what it is to their black and Asian or white and Asian counterparts um, and it's crazy to think about because that the, the racialized piece of class then really affects the class piece of education. Um, it talked about here like how different schools are approaching education based on their income levels at school and I don't I wanted to get a grasp on like which I'm gonna read it and then wanted to get a grasp on like what y'all felt and like what your the communities y'all come from and like how you felt it impacted. Um, but it says that students in low income schools were taught how to obey orders. They were not taught or encouraged to question authority or engage in critical thinking about the content or context of various texts they encountered. On the other hand, more the more affluent schools allowed students to engage in dip, deeply complex activities where they learned how to problem solve, build, and convey their positions and arguments, engage in critical thinking while showcasing their creativity. So like, how do y'all think that that affected like schools that you know or schools that you have seen like um, based on different classes? Um, I think what I kind of go back to, I can't remember the date, but Christine was talking about Mm -hmm. her class schedule in high school, right? Where, like, it was already, like, pre-made just by her, 
you know, yeah. social environment, like her I'm, track. She yeah, her tracked. track. Yeah, she was tracked. But like, what was it? Her husband, I think, that was like completely different, right? I think it was her, so, her, her, was boyfriend. her boyfriend at the time. Her or something. boyfriend at the yeah, time. Yeah, but I thought that was crazy. Where it's already like, not to say predetermined, but it is in a sense. And I, you know, it, I think that's just something that was completely oblivious to. Yeah. You know, this this whole idea of like, um, we can already tell that college is not going to be for you. So yeah. you're going to yeah. be a yeah. welder or a carpenter or a mechanic or, or something like that. Right. Yeah. Along those lines. Trade. Yeah. 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 You, you yeah. know, you you have to go into a trade school. College yeah. just isn't for you. So we're going to set you up. Um, to, to excel in that trade. Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. I, I can definitely, like, um, are y'all all from Colorado? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Okay, cool. So, like, I grew up in Aurora, and um, there's actually two school districts that run through Aurora, Aurora Public Schools and Cherry Creek Public Schools. And I, I literally knew friends who, like, like, school districting is so also very weird. That's a different thing. But, like, I also knew friends who, like, lived on one side of the street and went to Cherry Creek School and lived on the other side of the street, mm-hmm. and, went street and went to a um, Aurora Public School. And just seeing the disparities between that, like, there were so many less options to take um, advanced placement for college credit within um, or just college readiness within the Aurora Public School Districts. Like, I talked to some of the people I knew who, were, who went to Cherry Creek, and they're like, oh, you don't have AP this, this, and that at your school? I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. that's a thing. Yeah. And, like, that's available. Or, like, when people had to do, like, um, the baby project on, like, pretending to have a kid. Yeah. Like, students at my school didn't couldn't afford the fake baby. Like, right. they had, like, water jugs or flower bags where, like, people at other school could afford the fake babies or their schools could mm-hmm. afford to rent, rent them, the, free, right. the fake babies. And just different things like that. Like, I, I talked to some of my peers and, like, those of us who come from, like, lower-income schools, like, always feel as though we're playing catch-up to mm-hmm. others and I I can't imagine like having my kids feel that way right but yeah I, I mean I kind of did the same thing so I went to um, Foster Ridge which is in the east side of Fort Collins it's very I mean it's a rich school I, um, it was some reason it was in my school of choice but um, my sophomore year I went out to Omaha mm-hmm. and it was like this very very farm high school like it was I can't remember what the population was but it was a small town probably like 40 minutes outside of Omaha and I just remember thinking the same thing it was just like going from like a lot of money like high school so to speak to like a very uh rural area it was crazy to see but it was also great because you kind of saw the two sides of everything where it was like I love how hard these people like I shouldn't say that how hard everybody worked for you know just to enjoy going to school every day whereas like kids back here where you wouldn't even see them in class or at school yeah. ever you know but yeah it was kind of the same sort of balance but yeah mine was the same uh, I grew up in Colorado Springs um I went to Cheyenne Mountain um literally there was a highway dividing one of the richest districts in the in the state in the one of the poorest and it was just insane to me that I would have like you said I would have friends that I would talk to and I was actually on the other side mm-hmm. I, w- I went to Cheyenne um, and I just realized how many more opportunities I had mm-hmm. just because I lived on the right side of the highway yeah you know it was it's just crazy to see that yeah it's like the biggest drastic difference can be like the smallest 
landmark thing. Yeah. Right? You know what it's I mean? It's like, like, oh, this one street. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're like kind of in my situation too. I was like in the very last corner for like school of choice to go to Fossil. Yeah. And I was like, I was kind of upset about it. I was like, are you kidding me? I don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Like being on one side of the street as opposed to the other. You and, just mm-hmm. be, I mean, yeah. Here you go. You live here. You're a footstep away from this. Yeah. But you know, this is what you have. Yeah. It's crazy. It's very important to see things from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the ways that, you know, we're able to accomplish that is by having meaningful dialogues, um, not just within the classroom, but within the community, within, you know, spaces like this among, um, you know, fellow peers, uh, future educators, and, um, you know, students as well. It, it's very important that they're included in that, you know, conversation as well. And so how, you know, we've, we've talked about how, you know, within our current curriculum, there's misrepresentation. There's, you know, these zero tolerance policies that target minority groups and sort of push these like lower performing students out. Um, you know, we talked about how, you know, the existing order continues and students still aren't equally representable. There still isn't an, an equitable um, environment in most schools. And so how do we, here, here's the, the million dollar question, how do, we, how do we change that? I think the best way to like change it is recognizing that what we don't need to change is our students. We don't need to change our students. Um, like, yes, we're there to help them grow and help them become better people, but, like, it's not their fault that these structures are put in these, right? Like, we need to be able to go into the classroom with the lens of, like, respecting people's language, respecting their vernacular, respecting that they want to see themselves in these curriculums and, like, why am I going to care about something if all I'm learning about is the dead old white guys when I'm not a dead old white guy, you know? <laughs> so, like, I think taking it from a stance of, like, structural instead of oh, it's their families that don't care about education, oh, it's the student that doesn't care about education. Because even, like, a student can show as much grade as possible, but if the, idea, if the structure doesn't allow for them to grow, then they are going to be repeating that cycle that has kept like, many people in those systems for generations. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know was, how to, that was I don't know how to top that. That was dead on. Wow, yeah. Yeah, no, but I think, um, you know, other examples that we've learned within classes, you know, on top of dialogue, being able to offer, you know, different books from, from different perspectives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we diverse talk, reading. Yes, yeah. diverse reading, excellent. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about acknowledging uh, students of different uh, backgrounds and cultures, religions. Mm -hmm. As we learned today, um, there has been, you know, we have records of this repeated systematic disadvantage towards minority students in our educational system and so you know as we looked back with you know native american boarding schools uh the times of separate but equal you know we see how you know some schools continue the existing order you know as we discussed we currently see this you know within curriculum misrepresentation with the the only studying things from one side of perspectives from like the the dead old white guys uh, we see this within you know african-american you know dialogue stripping and 
zero tolerance policies and like how you criminalize being brown, for instance. See this within funding disparities and you know other ways. The list just keeps going on and on. But I think it's very important that you know as future educators, it soon will be our responsibility within the classroom to to help change and foster change, so that we can start breaking down that. Um, existing order. And so I think that's, uh, that pretty much wraps things up. Is there anything that you would like to add in before what we call it? Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well, there won't be an episode of Schooling in the United States next week um, as <laughs> the university goes on break. So hopefully people you know, enjoy their break, stuff their, their faces with food. I know I will, that's, that's for sure. But we'll be back in two weeks to continue this conversation, this meaningful dialogue as the semester wraps up. So um, thank you. This has been Schooling in the United States.